Good morning, Portsmouth Football Club. Can I help you? Yeah, I'd like the ticket office, please. Okay. Hello, and this is Mickey. Yeah, I know you guys just got promoted, so I wanted to get some tickets to the next time you guys play a really big team, like like United or, or City or Arsenal or, or, or Southampton. Can you do that? Hello? Hello? Uh-huh. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markson and I'm the host of the show you are currently listening to at this moment if this is your first time thanks for joining the show thanks for finding the show uh you make sure to subscribe to our feed and itunes stitcher acast google play TuneIn radio or wherever you get your podcast uh, but most of all just be sure to enjoy the show and i hope that you find it both informative um, and entertaining and i'm not going to claim to be any any saints expert that is definitely not why i'm here but uh we are here to talk about the club and to talk about uh the match against against liverpool which was um possibly one of the dullest things I've ever seen in my entire life. In fact, I thought I slept through the first half and missed something. And then I checked the stats and realized that just nothing happened. There were, if you were doing a live blog on the, uh, on the first half, you literally could have wrote nothing and that would have been fine. That would have accurately summed up what we did going forward that first half. And basically the entire game, we had absolutely nothing going forward, but it is what it is. We we came away with the point, and I don't feel as bad about that point as I do about the the point we got last weekend against Hull. I felt really disappointed after that. Uh, that was that was hard to kind of pick myself up from. But this match, you know, going away to Anfield, getting a point, uh, four matches against Liverpool without conceding a goal. I I think that's, you know, I I'm a little happier about that. Um, but we definitely need to change some things going forward. But my guest today, Tim Marshall, you can find him on Twitter at Tim J Marshall. That's T-I-M-J-M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L on Twitter. Uh, Tim and I will talk about uh, the match. We'll break it down. Tim is a lifelong Saints fan. Uh, he's a runner, uh, political activist, and all kinds of other things. And uh, he lives in London. And so we'll talk about kind of following Saints from London and, and what it's like to kind of be surrounded by all of these quote-unquote big clubs and still follow Saints and not saying the Saints aren't a, a big club. But if you look back at, at who people, especially in the States, follow uh, prior to a, a few years ago, you wouldn't have had any uh, real Saints fans probably because you couldn't see them. You didn't really know about them um, because everybody only knows Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, City and Liverpool. And that's basically that's basically it. Um, actually, you have a few Aston Villa fans here and there, which is um, now for somebody coming into the league now, they wouldn't they wouldn't do that. So anyway, uh, not to get too far off on a tangent, but uh, Tim and I will talk about that. We'll break down the game. Uh, we'll look ahead to the Arsenal match. Uh, Tim gives some player ratings and uh, we'll kind of just talk about all of that stuff. And I'd like to thank you once again for joining the show and just remind you that you can follow the show on Twitter. We're at SFCDELL underscore IVERY. We're also at Facebook.com forward slash SFC delivery. Uh, no underscore in the Facebook address. Be sure to follow along on Twitter and like the page on Facebook. Before we get to my talk with Tim, just like to remind you to follow the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. If you haven't checked it out yet, that is a great place to get lots of Saints information. And for match day edits, pull 
polls, competitions, and more. Be sure to check out We Are Southampton on Instagram. And a special thanks to Matt, uh, who runs the page, for doing the artwork for this show. Um, So with all that being said, let's get to my interview with Tim. And I have to say that Tim and I talked for a a lengthy time, and I think I say that every episode. Um, But I I say that because that means something has to, to be cut out. We don't really want an hour and a half show every single show. And so... Uh, some of the stuff that Sam and I talked about, we talked a little bit about uh, politics. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, me becoming a fan, but that uh, we've covered some of that stuff before and some of it just doesn't quite fit. Um, and if there's one thing that I think that people in the UK could care less about than an American guy talking about soccer, uh, it's an American guy talking about British politics. So uh, while I enjoyed my chat with him about that, uh, that sadly didn't make it into the podcast. But if you want to check it out on my other podcast, it's called UK Politics Today um, from America. That's not a real podcast, so don't look for it, but I just thought it was funny. So I think I've, I think I've rambled on uh, long enough. So here's my chat with Tim about the Liverpool match, uh, looking ahead to Arsenal, and uh, just kind of looking over the, uh, the season. So uh, here we go. We'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all the SFC fans, Tim Marshall. Uh, Tim, you're, thanks for joining us from, uh, from London. Uh, we've just watched... Uh, Southampton uh, away at Liverpool, uh, maybe a first half to kind of forget about, but uh, we got a point nonetheless. So thanks for joining me to talk about that and the season and uh, uh, a bunch of other things as we see fit. Yeah, great, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Glad, to, always glad to talk to to different people, especially you know you might have a little bit of a different perspective, uh, not living in Southampton at the moment. You got lots of different things to see. Yeah, definitely. Now. A lot of times we talk to people who are, are writing about the club and things like that, but um, you know you don't necessarily do that. But you've been you've been around the club and you, you're you've been a fan of the club for a long time. So tell us a, just a little bit about about you and, and how you came to kind of be a Southampton fan and, and be in London and all that stuff. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, so I do a lot of stuff on Twitter, uh, tweet about the club quite a lot, and I kind of contribute to the Ugly Inside um, forum and other forums, but yeah, nothing in an official capacity. Um, but I've been a Saints fan for what, 25, 26 years, you know, as long as I can remember, really, I'm 30 now. Um, so my connection is that my, my parents moved uh, from London to Southampton when they were 18 to go to university, and then they just stayed in the area, and they're both Saints fans. I mean, more so my dad. He's, he's a massive fan. He's a season ticket holder. And uh, he started taking me to matches from about the age of um, maybe eight, uh, and my first game I saw was a 2-0 win against Everton back at the Old Dell. And uh, Eklund and Letizier scored. Uh, Letizier, Lagarde, my favourite player, uh, many Saints fans' favourite players. And then like in the school holidays, I'd, they'd run like a Saints uh, soccer school, um, which I'd go to. But um, I was never much of a good player myself, really, at football. I tried. <laughs> I just kind of ran around like I was always quite quite fit, but like had no touch, no real kind of skill. Just, yeah, so I actually ended up being a um, much better squash squash player. Um, at school and university and stuff, and and a, and a runner as well, but um, yeah, obviously carried on my my lifelong love of the, of the Saints. Okay, so you got to explain to me uh, squash, just so I have. I'm thinking of the right match or the right game here. What what it? I don't know if it's called rackets or something in the US. Um, oh, maybe racquetball, but, like inside of a. You got walls no, everywhere, not, and you. Yeah, you were right. You're an indoor court, uh, and the ball can be hit anywhere on the four uh, the four walls. It's quite a fast game. There's there's no net, and yeah, it's quite like intensive. You know, an hour of squash, you really you really feel it. And you can play, you can play singles, you can play doubles. If you play doubles, you've got to have goggles because the ball's coming pretty fast. And if you get hit in the eye, it's going to be bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a crap soccer player as well, so don't don't feel bad. I don't have any fitness or any touch, so don't 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 be ashamed. I, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you contributed to the ugly inside. I guess I, I missed that. 
as you're doing that. So what do you what do you usually do or how do you how are you associated with that? Oh, my dad's a big poster on there. He posts under conciliary. So shout out to my dad there. And I post uh, under winch Tim. I don't write articles for them. I'm just, you know, contribute on the forum. Oh, stuff. OK, OK, OK. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice. Those guys came on the uh, on the show a while back, and they were they were fantastic to work with. And I I followed them, and you know watch all the videos. I get you know maybe get in trouble a little bit at work for having them play yeah. play in the background. You know, great um, videos. I, I like Saints Mike. So again, another shout out to Saints Mike. <laughs> yeah, that one. My principal walked in, and he happened to be you know on the playlist, and I was just like, hey, get get to the computer quickly. Uh, but that's it's, it's fun to listen to though. Definitely. At this point, you're living in London. Uh, so you, you left Southampton, but you're still, like you said, you're still a fan, still do all that stuff. Uh, what, what made you, what what brought you to London? Um, yeah, so I, uh, actually went to study first in Canterbury in Kent, another part of the country, and then uh, moved to London to do a master's degree, uh, in English at at University College London. That was about seven years ago. So just, just stayed in London since, um, like most of my friends live here, my brother and sister live here, but it's good because. It's only an hour away from from my parents' house, which is in Winchester, and then yeah, like an hour twenty minutes from from Southampton and, and St Mary's. So yeah, it's quite easy to get back home for for matches. Uh, even after even an evening game after the work after work, I've been down to quite a few this season. Uh, went to all the Europa League home games and quite a few weekend games, uh, cup games as well. Now, when you go back, are you able since your dad's a season ticket holder? Are you able to get seats near him, or you kind of have to go? Yeah. So if he can get it early enough, um, you can get a seat like near him or around him. But, you know, for the big, big popular games, uh, it might be somewhere else. Sometimes I go with my friend Andy as well, who's a big Saints fan, lives in London too. So we'll travel down together and back. And so we'll go and sit like on the other side of the stadium, you know, just for a different view um, in one of the other stands. Living in London, you're surrounded by other clubs, right? I mean, yeah. And, and some big clubs. <laughs> let's be to be let's be honest. As you kind of move from neighborhood to neighborhood in London, do you have dedicated fans to either West Ham or Arsenal or Tottenham? Or, or is London so big now that you just have this kind of uh, conglomeration of people just all kind of mashed together and they all everybody supports different different clubs, you know? No, I get what you're saying. I mean, I think it's a mix of both. I think there are still very, like, tribal areas. So the east end of London um, is a big West Ham area. Um, North London is divided pretty much between Arsenal and Spurs. Um, there's a long road called the Seven Sisters Road which London listeners would know about. And there's always like the question of where do you stop being Arsenal? Where do you stop being, um, stop being Spurs along that road? Um, Spurs is slightly further out. Uh, then you've got in uh, West London, Chelsea. Uh, but, you know, the actual area where Stamford Bridge is, is just incredibly wealthy area with just like luxury houses and flats and mainly, uh, you know, r- Russian owners, a bit like Abramovich there. So I, I don't know where exactly the, the Chelsea fans might live, maybe slightly further west in Shepherd's Bush or Ealing or that way. Uh, then South London, you've got Palace. I'd say everyone around the Crystal Palace area, Norwood, they're big, they're big Palace fans. And then, yeah, outside London, like we've got these what we call the home counties, which are like the, the counties that surround uh, the city. And, you know, to the north of London, like kind of Herefordshire, Hertfordshire, those kind of areas you have maybe like Spurs, Arsenal fans. If you haven't got a big club near you, Surrey, I guess, is, is it would be maybe Chelsea again. Chelsea have got their training ground in, in Cobham and Surrey. So I think, as I said, yeah, it's a mix of both. Some some people very, you know, support the team, which is just a street away from where they grew up in London, and, and then some of them might just pick the one they like the most, or if they're kind of outside the city, you know, in the in the more in the kind of counties, they would just pick the one maybe closest or, or the one they like the most. Now I know I know I know the answer to this before I ask, but ever ever you know you moved I guess to London when you were quite a bit older. Would you have been tempted to just 
pick a team that's easier to get to, you know, and see uh, when you got there? Or is this that's never that's never an option, right? You, no, you, never, never an option. I mean, I, I'm I'm very proud to be a Saints fan, and you never change your childhood club. You know, you grew up with those memories of your favorite players scoring, uh, Letizier and people like Jim Magilton, and then defenders like Benali, Ken Moncal. And yeah, you just you just hold on to your team, really. And my dad will never forgive me either. I mean, even though he grew up in London, <laughs> I don't know if he was Spurs or whatever younger, but he's been he's been Saints for like nearly forty years now. So you can't you can't change your team. And if I was being just like you know lazy about it, actually, if I go okay, I'm going to be Arsenal for whatever reason, it's probably more expensive, or it's definitely more expensive actually to get an Arsenal season ticket. It's the most expensive in the Premier League. I think it's like a thousand over a thousand pounds than yeah. to carry on going down to Saints. Which is like four or five hundred, and get the train. Even with even when you factor in the travel, you know Arsenal it would be more expensive. So if I was just going on the money alone, it would still you know it would still be more expensive to change. But I'm not saying that at all. I'm, I'm a, no, 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 no. Saints fan, yeah. How has living in London kind of changed the way you are able to, I guess, experience the the season with Southampton? Yeah, so I'm not I'm not in Southampton itself, the city. So I kind of miss out a bit on like when there's a big cup run or um, like you know in the Euro the kind of buzz around the city, which which is a bit of a shame, but it, you know, equally, it's it's fun to be here and be a Saints fan, as you say, surrounded by all those other clubs because it's really great when you beat them, um, especially when you beat them away. Like went to the Emirates this season for the for the cup, the League Cup game where we won two 0 That was great, uh, especially as you know, I can just I've just got like a five minute walk back. Um, but it's not so fun when you're actually down in Southampton and then you're coming back to London after a game against a a London team and we and you've lost uh, and you're with on the train with all the all their fans and they're all. I mean, it's usually pretty good natured, to be fair. Uh, just a bit of drinking and singing, but it's not—it's never a good feeling to lose. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting. And and you know, here what I get is the is the London media. So we've got like the Evening Standard, which is a free paper you can pick up on the tube. And you know, I have to I read the news a lot. And and what I find from the media coverage, and I see this reflected on on Twitter and what other Saints fans say, is that they don't like the way that they they think the London media kind of patronizes us it's always like if we beat a big team it's ah the big team weren't playing very well you know or plucky Southampton uh, find a way to win and what they really don't like and and, you know I I don't like this either is always seeing our our best players being linked to the to the London clubs I mean this applies to the other clubs as well the other big clubs like Liverpool Man U etc but there's a I think there's a feeling that the London media kind of sometimes don't give Saints the credit they deserve. But then occasionally you get some good pieces about, you know, our academy and and sometimes also how well run the club is from a financial perspective. So there are some there are some favourable coverage out there if you look for it. But yeah, I can see why if you're living in Southampton and, you know, you just see stuff on, on online or on Twitter about how the London media is reporting stuff, I could see why it would be frustrating. I think if somebody is a soccer fan in the United States before maybe the last four or five years, maybe three, four or five years, unless they came from, from England, they were going to be either a United fan, uh, a Chelsea fan or Arsenal fan. That was pretty much it. Maybe Liverpool, um, probably Liverpool more so than Tottenham. Um, but now you have kind of people popping up all over the place who are, are are kind of aligning themselves with the team for one reason or another. And it's, uh, it's all due to kind of NBC buying, uh, the, the rights and, and being able to do that. And it's, it's, it's really, really nice because otherwise, I mean, Otherwise, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have ever watched it because there was no way to you know I if I can only watch the FA Cup final and I don't I have to just read about it the rest of the time I'm probably not going to do it you know mm-hmm. yeah one thing you did say is that you know we get linked a lot our players get linked a lot to other teams and that yeah 
it drives me nuts. Like I thought it wouldn't yeah. start till we get closer to the end of the season, but it started like last month and it's just been nonstop. And it's like, man, you know, how many, how many, one, how many places is Virgil van Dyke going to go? You know, how many different premier league clubs? And then, you know, I don't know. It, it, it gets to me a little bit. Sometimes I just have to like shut it off and, and stop paying attention, but it's hard yeah. to do too. Yeah. It's, 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 it's frustrating. And for a while it was Arsenal, obviously for a long time with uh, Walcott's, Chambers, Oxley Chamber, though, went, and, and then it's it's really been Liverpool recently. But um, but I've seen that uh, there's been lots of rumours of Bertrand going back to Chelsea, which is not great either, and Romeo maybe being linked to clubs. So yeah, it's um it's it's a bit annoying. But you know they've got to sell papers, they've got to get clicks. So those those are the stories that are going to sell, as it were. Yeah, and you know if our players are being linked to those places, that probably means they're playing well. You know, and. And that's what, that's what I want. I want the players to play well, and I wish they would stay after they're playing well. But if nobody on our team is getting looked at, then it probably means we're playing like crap, and that, that's not what I want either. True. Yeah, I can see that side too. Say I fly into London, I'm going to go to one Southampton match away in yeah. London. Which where, where, Where's the best place to go? That's a difficult question. Really. I mean, if you're going to go for the atmosphere, definitely go to the Crystal Palace because they have great fans. They have this whole section uh, of ultras that jump up and down, make loads of noise wave flags so that's great but the view is terrible like my friend went there recently um he's a Spurs fan for the for Spurs Palace and he said he couldn't see anything because he's behind a pillar for the kind of stadium experience uh the Emirates is, is is incredible it's an incredible design uh the view is amazing wherever you are um the facilities are amazing um the only problem is that the atmosphere as you know is so bad people call it the the Emirates library it used to be the Highbury library when they were at Highbury oh. but actually if you're in the away section if you're in the Saints section it's great because everyone stands up and, and everyone sings and makes loads of noise it's just that the Arsenal fans don't really contribute much to the game so yeah I would say yeah maybe maybe Arsenal or Palace all right all right and I guess you know the I have heard things about about Crystal Palace about the atmosphere it being one of the places to go because it that's still one of the older stadiums right like similar to kind of I guess when you see uh White Hart Lane how, how it's so close to the pitch and all that stuff and I guess with the new with the new stadiums with with the Emirates and um, with Stamford Bridge, I guess that kind of goes away a little bit, right? Yeah, and I think the worst the worst example of this is the Olympic Stadium or the London Stadium, as it's called now, which was incredible for the Olympics. I was there 2012 um, for the see the athletics there, and it was amazing. The, it was a great atmosphere, uh, and it's all set up exactly for athletics and for Olympic sports. But for football, it's terrible. You're way too far from the pitch, as you said, and. The, you know, the West Ham fans really have not enjoyed being there at all and it's affected their performances on the pitch. And I actually think away fans quite like going there because they know they've got a good chance of getting a result because the home fans just don't like it and they pressurise the team because of the, the negativity around that place. So maybe it'll, be, maybe it'll improve last uh, next season, sorry. And you saw them beat Spurs the other day and apparently for the first time there was actually a, a good atmosphere there for, for that game. But in general, it's not been, not been a very good move for them. Yeah, that's come across quite well. And it's got so many seats in it, right? They have a tough time even filling it, I think. Yeah, I think it's 50,000, 55,000. But um, it's like, you know, you can move seating around for different events. So if you want a concert, you can have more. Or for athletics, you can have more or less. I don't know. So that's another problem. It's not fixed. It's very much like a flat pack kind of uh, design. Going back to your um, traveling back to London with the, with the away fans, if you head down for a match. Generally, the traveling fans, the away fans, are generally the kind of more diehard fans, right? They tend to be a little louder. They tend to, you know, is, is that is that true or am, am yeah, I just yeah. making that this up? Is, yeah, absolutely. This is the thing that a lot of Saints fans um, annoys them is that, you know, our most vocal fans are in the northern stand and kind of around the corners a bit. Um, but then the other half of the nor- northern stand is, is away fans, right? So that kind of dilutes our fans a bit because it splits the two 
loud sections. And then even worse for like cup games because you get more uh, allocated seats for cup games. They, the away fans take over most of the northern, and that really ruins the atmosphere for the cup games. So I wish they wouldn't do that. I wish they'd put them around the sides or something. But it might be a safety issue that it's harder for the stewards and the police to contain away fans if they're like not all in one place. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Somebody um, a couple episodes ago, I think, was was talking about that as well. Like they they don't like that it's it's split. They would rather it be that whole north side just kind of be not obviously not as big as the cop, but similar to the cop where everybody you know they have that wall of sound coming out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I, I think I have it in my head about how it looks, but even, yeah. even just with half of it, um, you know, when we're playing well and when the Northern Men gets up a song, it's really good, it's really loud and much better than somewhere like the Emirates. But yeah, as your other guests were saying, just imagine if we had that whole block, like what a wall of sound we could create, because uh, everybody in that bit stands and you know they're very passionate behind their goals, so they kind of drive the atmosphere. When they get going, other parts of the stadium pick it up. Um, like the corner of the Kingsland and the corner of the Itchen, they're a bit noisier as well, but generally the kind of wings and chapel at the other end are quite quiet by comparison all right and where does your dad sit yeah so he's in he's in um kingsland so he's actually quite near the away fans like uh so quite near the corner of the uh kingsland and northern on the kind of right hand side does he ever give any uh give the away fans a, a bit of stick or, or no <laughs> he no to be fair to him he's quite he gets quite animated you know he he kind of goes come on come on get forward he, but he's trying more i suppose to encourage our, our players and uh and support the team, and he, you know, he sometimes gets frustrated. Oh, why did you do that? But no, nah, in his defence, I've never seen him uh, abuse or or <laughs> tease the away fans. I mean, yeah, he's he's well, he's he's well behaved. He'll be listening to. Me, so I got to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I won't, I won't get you in trouble. Um, <laughs> I I cannot wait to uh, to get there. We have plans to to make it and and probably fly into London just because it's easier, and then try to get to just as many matches as possible, whether it's it's in London or at St. Mary's or, you know, even, I don't really care. I'm going to be there. I think the plan is to go for like two weeks and try to get to, you know, however many games we can in that time. So yeah, it'll be, yeah, if, you can, if you plan your trip around kind of Christmas, New Year time, I know you, it's unusual to be away from home and the family at that time. Well, if you bring your family with, with you, you'll be with them. But um, that's when there are loads of games. There's like th- sometimes three, four games in all in, you know, six, seven days there because of the, the, the tight schedule. Um, and a lot of people complain about that because they say no winter break means that's why the England team don't do very well. That's why our players get injured and so on. But um, I quite like it. It's, I think it's quite a fun, fun part of the season. And, you know, because lots of people are off work as well. Like I'm I'm back home for the whole of kind of Christmas, New Year time. So I go to like as many games as I can, especially if we've got two or three home games in that two, three week period. So it's, it's, it's a good time. Yeah, yeah, that is that is the big complaint about the Premier League is that there is no winter break. But, you know. Uh, I did hear somebody make the argument that if if they had a winter break, they would probably just be off doing some sort of publicity stunt in in China or Dubai or somewhere else, you know, trying to drum up some business. So, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Would it would it really help? But you know, whatever. I can't. I'm not going to do it. Should we talk about? I mean, the match just happened, so it's pretty fresh. Yeah. Should we kind of go through it a little bit? Yeah, let's go through it. And and I'll be honest. I, like I told you before we started recording, my wife's birthday party was last night. We were up till about three three thirty, and the match started at five thirty. So I was. I barely made it out of bed in time to watch the match, and yeah. and I, I for a while I was trying to figure out who was on the pitch because everything was blurry. But um, <laughs> well, but, you know, if you had to lose through the match, you wouldn't have missed too much. But um, we shouldn't say that because we're dedicated Saints fans, and uh, we should watch every match and support the team. And it was a good result, I think, in the end. We should start with that, I guess. Be happy with not be happy. I think the team set up well and played well. Um, I think they had a job to do, and they were given a job to do, and they did it. it wasn't necessarily the most exciting thing I've ever seen. No, it was, um, you know, it just seemed to be the tactic was kind of 
punt it up to Gabbiadini and, and hope for the best. And he's still not looking kind of back to his sharpest. And I think, you know, my, my Liverpool friend was tweeting me saying, you parked the bus. And I have to agree with him, really. And I can see why this is why some Saints fans are saying pull out or, you know, they're unsure about him because we're, it's not the, really the Southampton way to, to play so defensively. Um, and you've posted those stats from the first half and, you know, we had zero shots on target. In fact, zero shots at all. Um, and hardly any possession, so uh, it's difficult. Do we want to you know, do we want to kind of think more about the results and yeah, we've got a point, or actually, would we rather do what we did against Chelsea and go for it and be very attacking, but end up losing four two? You know, it's yeah, it's a difficult choice. Yeah, and, and I guess like you know, bigger picture, we haven't really done it. You know, we haven't played well and won a, a match in some time. You know, and so I think because of that. Uh, after the last match, I was kind of saying I would rather the team go out and play really well and and get a point, or or you know, rather than play kind of poorly and and, and sneak out a win. But I don't know. Like it, it, you're right, it wasn't super exciting, and it's not the way that I think defensive solidity is something that I, I like about Southampton. But to set up in this kind of almost negative fashion is not, you know, I don't think it's what Saints fans want. Like like you said. Um, that first half, anything stand out to you? Any, any moments of note, uh, worth, worth kind of talking about? Well, so what I'm, I made some notes and what I said really was that both sides were kind of pressing, but it was odd because they were pressing, but with no real kind of urgency or tempo, uh, especially the first 15 minutes were kind of quite sloppy. I mean, Romeo lost possession. That hardly ever happens, but luckily Yoshida covered for him. Uh-huh. Um, Forster dealt with everything which came his way, which was good, but it was mostly straight at him. I think Gabbiadini ended up getting one chance, but he pulled over Matip and was lucky not to get a yellow card, to be honest. Um, and then in the last couple of minutes, we were sort of pushing forward a bit, but, you know, really nothing really happened in that first 45 of, of interest. Um, just as you said, we were solid. We were, we were forced to play played well, but that's it, I think. Uh, and then going back to, I guess, the, the lineup and the formation, anything you, you disliked about the way Puel kind of set the team up today? Because uh, we've gone, you know, we've gone that the four four two diamond at the beginning. Then we went four three three. Then we went four two three one. Now it looks like we're almost back to the four the four three three, and then maybe like a a four five one when we're when we're on defense or when we're defending. But any any um, lineup changes that maybe you disagree with or or found to be interesting? Yeah. So I, I I agree. I would say actually it was more four five one with with Gabbiadini really alone up top, and I would have played um, Redmond from the start. I haven't been impressed with Buffal at all really recently. He, he beat his man maybe once, um, but he just is indecisive and he gives the ball away. I think when Redmond came on um, in the 60th minute, he, he showed a lot more attacking intent and he kind of got forward and he got into better positions. I would have kept um, Gabbiadini on. I know Long was the hero at Anfield last time, but uh, he, you know, he is our main goal scorer and, and he needs those extra minutes to get back to, to fitness. So yeah, I would have definitely started, started Redmond and, and maybe I would have only brought Long on in like the 85th minute or something. That'd be my changes. I'd have to agree with you, and I think I think Puel wants Buffal to be in the team and and play well and 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 kind of fix himself and show what why we went out and spent the money on him, you know. But yeah. he, like you said, he really hasn't done it. And I think one of the things that I associate with Buffal a lot is his ability to beat someone off the dribble, and then and then usually he just tries to beat somebody else instead of just passing someone. But it's odd because Southampton only has one player in the top 10 for dribbles and it's not Buffal. It's, it's actually Redmond who missed out um, for Buffal in, in this match and had to come off the bench. And then as, as far as long goes, I think the, the last maybe 
10 minutes of the match or five minutes in the match, that that situation is is pretty similar to what Liverpool needed to get through in the cup final or the semifinal is that they have to score a goal because they, they needed to win today to, to kind of sure up their top four hopes. And so when they're really pressing, that's when long can, can actually do something. Um, yeah. I think bringing them on when they did it, it, it didn't really do much, you know? And, and for a while there, it looked like we might give it away. And that was, it was going to be depressing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. Um, and, and the second half to be fair was much more open, right? Uh, it kind of, I think both sides attacked a little bit more. Uh, we were still didn't have hardly any possession and, and we didn't really pass very well either, but, um, what, what were some moments? I think I have some in my mind that, that stood out to you in the, uh, in, in the second half. Okay. So the second half, we yeah, had definitely more exciting and it's got to be the penalty, uh, incident around the 65th minute. So your ball comes in and commentators uh, were sort of saying, Oh, that was a mistake from Stevens. He, he really should know better. I mean, you see those ones given, you see them not, I don't, I don't know if it was really humble, but nonetheless, it was a penalty and Forster, you know, who, who people have criticized all season and really said he's shadow of his former self kind of came into his own today and, and he's my man in the match. And, and yeah, he was okay. Fine. He was doing mind games, but he's entitled to do that. You know, he didn't do anything particularly aggressive. He just sort of tried to slightly, uh, sort of like play, play mind games with, with Milner. And then it was a great save. You know, I think Milner's penalty was, was better than Tadic's last week. Um, so I would say that's a better save from Forster than Jakubovic. And just for a big guy, he's been criticised a lot for not getting down quickly, but that was a great uh, great dive, great great reaction save. And, you know, I think Liverpool would have gone on to score a few more goals, actually, if, if they got that one. But because they because it was saved, the crowd really got kind of more restless and, and they just sort of were more nervous going forward and kept sort of passing it back to us and passing it out of the pitch and ran out of ideas, really. So that was real, the real turning point, would, would you say? Yeah, I I have been critical of of Forrester and there have been some discussions, you know, online and I've been I like the guy. Like I want him to do well, but I just haven't really been impressed and uh they were looking at um his like expected goals and and all that stuff and and to based on the number of shots he's conceded and what he, how many should go in and he's he's down there just above Claudio Bravo, you know, like that's yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's and cool. it's just like, man, that's that's bad, but he you know, he was one of the only ones who didn't get a yellow card in that whole penalty incident. Um, and then he, he makes the save and it was, it was, it was great. And you can see the whole team kind of get a, get a boost from that. You know, everybody was around him and then, and then we seemed to play, I think there were only a couple other times where uh, Liverpool really had a shot that, that I was worried about, you know, but he, yeah, de- yeah, definitely. Yeah. he definitely played better today than he has in, in the past few matches. I still though would like to see him. I'd like to see him like run over some people coming for balls that are coming for crosses and stuff, especially from corners or free kicks, you know, just kind of impose himself a little bit more. And maybe that's cause I'm five, seven and I weigh, you know, not that much. And so <laughs> I want, I want to see the big guy use his body a little bit, but um, you know, like you said earlier, I think he, 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 he probably was the man of the match for us today. Gave him an eight. Maybe, maybe I'd even give him an 8.5 actually out of 10. His performance today. All right. He's one of the best performances of the season, I would say. Yeah, I, I can't I can't disagree with you at all, at all. Um, the penalty situation. The commentators in the U.S. 
were kind of saying the opposite of, I guess, what you heard on your feed and that they didn't think it was a penalty. They, they said, you know, it's not intentional. It doesn't look intentional. It, you know, all this stuff. And so I was looking at it going like, that looks pretty intentional to me. You know, it looked like the arm that didn't look like a natural position for it to be in. Uh, but, but whatever. And it was given and, and whatever and Forrester makes a save. And, and I think that really rejuvenated us and, you know, maybe in the end it worked out for us. Um, but then I thought there was another situation. I thought Mignolet handled the ball um, outside the box late on. Did you did you catch that? Yeah, yeah, that was going to be my second actually uh, kind of highlight or t- talking point of the second half. That was 88 minutes right near the end. And I think he did as well. And, you know, Tadic had a slightly high foot. So who knows if, if, if he'd actually made contact with Mignolet, there would have been a free kick against us. But um, yeah, that were, they were lucky there actually uh, not to concede. And, you know, I, can, I think it's a sending off, isn't it, for that? Yeah, I think it is. And that would have been, you know, that would, that could have changed the game. But I, like you said, we didn't really create anything. Um, so at the end where, um, I think it was someone crossed in the right side. It was just a bit too, too far off the long, it might've been tadished along and had that landed perfectly. Oh, the commentator said, long would have scored. Mm, I'm not sure he would cause he's not hundred percent reliable, but certainly if it had been in right in that sort of sweet spot, uh, we could have, we could have maybe had a good chance there, but it went slightly beyond him and, you know, then the kind of play, the play broke down, but that right. was our best chance of the match, I think. Yeah, and that was a good ball out from from the midfield, I think, to Tadic, and then that ball's bouncing awkwardly for Tadic to try to put it across for long. So, you know, whatever. You, 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 you I, w- I got a little bit excited, but not 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 too excited, not too terribly disappointed when it didn't quite work out either. So yeah, I think in Tadic's defense, he got he kind of got tackled just as he was as, as he was crossing, so he was a slightly off balance, and that's why he overshot it a bit. Because in his defense, you know, he is very good at crosses. Um, he's got seven assists this season. Certainly like to see him score a few more goals, but he, uh, him and Will Prowse are, are our best kind of crosses of the ball, I'd say. Let's go ahead and move on to the, uh, to the ratings here. And, yeah. and, and just so I understand this, because it's not something I, I give all the time, but it seems like a six is what you start at, right? Like that's pretty just standard game. Five, five, six. Okay. Um, so, okay. So let's go ahead. What, what you said you give Forrester an eight. Yeah, so Forster on an eight, my man of the match. Cedric on a six. Uh, Stevens on a five. He did concede the penalty, but he was otherwise fairly solid. Yoshida on a six, um, especially for the, that save in the first half when Romeo was dispossessed and, and he, he covered for him. I've got Bertrand on a six as well. I mean, he would have had a seven, but he got a, a yellow card. Um, Davis was a six. Our captain, you know, solid performance. Didn't do anything particularly wonderful. Didn't really make any mistakes. Romeo on a seven. I know he made that mistake I referred to, but he was otherwise just his usual great self, breaking up play, just running everywhere. Warprouse, six, a few good passes, not much. Tadic, a six. Buffal, a four. Uh, Redmond, when he came on, uh, I gave him a six. And uh, Gabbiadini, a five. Uh, and Long, a five as well for the Saints. Overall, decent performances from most people. I'll say, save Buffal, maybe. And. Yeah. Um, Overall, just a pretty solid kind of team performance. I wouldn't say we maybe, other than Forrester, had any kind of standout performers. It was just pretty solid. And if that's you know what we needed to get a point and maybe get us back on the on the right path, and that made that I think we did that. And I don't think I disagree with any of the uh, any of your ratings. I think that's that's pretty pretty spot on. Now, yeah. Do you normally submit your ratings to uh, to the Ugly Inside? They have that little ratings thing. Does you, yeah, do you, I, yeah. And then do you keep track of them all year long, or how does that work? No, I just I kind of do it, and then I'll have a look um, when they're finalised, and um, if I can remember, see how mine compared, uh, and they usually kind of tally up quite quite nicely. I've noticed as well we we tend to rate the opposition goalkeeper quite highly. <laughs> <And about> that, <laughs> Makes us feel I've, I've better. 
Yeah, I've given my Liverpool scores. I won't go through all of them, but um, yeah, Minilay is my highest on on a six, and everyone else is mostly a five, fives and fours. Um, with yeah, maybe Matip was my only other six. Man, see, yeah. I really, really like James Milner. Like, if I had to have a favorite that was not a Southampton player, it would be James Milner, and I don't know yeah. why. Maybe just because he looks like he tries hard, but um, <laughs> he's been. I mean, he's been pretty bad this season, losing the ball. He loses the ball a lot, um, but I still, I still like him. So, I like him today. Four thirty-three, so he's, he's really at the end of his career now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, so, I guess you know, at this point, uh, I guess we should have a look at the uh, table here after that. Yeah, so we've we've, um, we've gone back up, I think, back to tenth. Yeah, back, back to tenth. So, I mean, God, we're behind Leicester. <laughs> I mean, uh, Leicester just had a revival under Shakespeare, haven't they? Or um, Bardiola, as they call him, which I, I quite like. And just, yeah, sort of transformation. So they've really got momentum. I mean, it's so bunched up in the middle. I mean, Bournemouth are on the same points as us with just you know eight, eight, uh, eight worst goal difference. And we've got a couple of games in hand of some teams. We've got two, you know, we've got two games in hand on, on, on West Ham, Stoke, Burnley. We've got one game in hand on, on Leicester. So if we if we win that, yeah, but it's Arsenal, so I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be a, a, a tough one, but maybe for them. I mean, so we're back up to tenth now, I guess. And looking forward, kind of is is that is that good enough for Puel? Uh, there's been a lot of speculation this week about about him, you know, being off in the summer. Uh, a lot of people calling for him to be removed, and uh, one of the things that I voted in the the final vote was to get rid of him now. Um, you know, or at the end of the season. And that's, uh, personally, I think that's a bit harsh. Uh, I, I would say I understand kind of the, especially what we talked about earlier about the defensive side or the defensiveness of how, how we set up. But I think give him a transfer window that's his, give him, uh, you know, a, a fall, uh, a start to the season that isn't compounded by, you know, uh, several fixtures in random places in Europe and let him kind of see kind of what he can do and work and see if he you know, gets us back to Europe. But uh, what are your feelings on on that whole situation? Yeah, I mean, I'm really torn on this. Like, uh, you know, on the one hand, we got to our first major cup final in, in 14 years. Um, unfortunately for me, I was in Iceland, so I couldn't go, but I was watching it uh, in a bar there, surrounded by Man U fans, of course, because wherever you go in the world, there are, there are Man U fans. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and also, you know, I'll never forget beating um, Inter Milan at home. I mean, that's incredible as, as a Saints fan to... to to be there, you know, under the lights, playing one of the great European teams, and then the Liverpool, the Cup semi semis as well. I was, uh, I went to the the home game, which was amazing, and then I, I was watching the away one just on the TV, going going crazy for that. So, those those are those are amazing achievements, and it's also been great to see some of the young players come through, like Josh Sims and, and Jack Stevens, and and Puel's really improved some of the, the other players as well. Like I think Ward Prowse improved this season. I think Yoshida's improved massively and and stepped up. So those are all the positives, but then on the other hand, sometimes the football has been really boring and turgid. And you know, I didn't go down to Hull, I didn't go to Bournemouth. I, I was busy both times. My dad was saying, "Oh yeah, come down. There are tickets." So I'm, I'm quite glad I missed those ones because uh, they really weren't very good. And then some strange things have been happening, like the, the long double substitution. I mean, that was that was strange. So quite a few negative points. But as you were saying, like there's been lots of different circumstances affecting things. Like we started the season with Fonte and Van Dijk at the back. You know, we finished with Yoshida and Stevens, and I was just pra- praising Yoshida, and, and that's not a bad partnership. But you know, you can't can't say it's the same level as as, as Fontaine Van Dijk at all. 
And then with the attacking uh, side of things, with Austin getting injured, Gabadini coming in and hitting the ground, absolutely running and on fire, but then he got injured quite quickly after that. So that left it up to, 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 to Long and Rodriguez. And Puel doesn't really seem to trust either of them, so he kind of rotates them and substitutes them at random, as we said. So all things considered, like... I, I guess I I give him one more season, you know. I, as you're saying, I'd, I'd give him that 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 preseason and, and bringing it, bringing in some more players, and and then if we're like, if we you know, if we're in the bottom half or like quite or near relegation at Christmas time, maybe make a change then. But yeah, I, I'm going to give him another season. Yeah, I think you put it all kind of in perspective very, very well. There have been some really, really good things. I think it's easy to forget because I think the the week in week out what we see is is kind of boring football and not maybe the. Uh, what we're used to and and then seeing us kind of especially for a newer fan i've seen us climb the table every single year and so all of a sudden to have that like realization that we're not going to go forward this year and maybe that's not the that we're not going to finish higher than we did last year i don't say we're not going forward because i think in other ways we are we are moving in the right direction but uh so to kind of slide back down the table a little bit that that's upsetting but then we have other things that are going on too. You have, uh, you know, the, the possible takeover. Uh, you have uh, people in the front office just kind of stepping down and moving on. And so you have a lot of there are a lot of other moving parts. I think that that do play a part in how we wind up on the pitch, even if it doesn't necessarily, um, you know, dictate how the players play. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, there was no way we were going to finish sixth or, or above and, and carry on that trend of improving season on season because. Last year was a bit of an anomaly with, with Leicester winning, of course, and with Chelsea doing so badly, and, and Liverpool finished below us as well. So I think we really hit that glass ceiling whereby the big six clubs, uh, and you want to, maybe want to throw in Everton there as well, it's, they just strengthened, and you know, Chelsea brought in Conte, so they were going to be right there at the top. Tottenham were obviously brilliant last season as well. So there was, there was just absolutely no way we were going to have that, that same opportunity, I think. So I think... Yeah, maybe we'd like to have finished a few places higher and, and you know, there's still a risk of us finishing as low as kind of 14th, 15th, but all things considered, not too bad, I think. You know, moving forward, we have, you know, games in hand, they not as great as having points on the board, obviously, but we have kind of, we have a, still a tough run in, you know, we have to play, yeah. we got through Liverpool, uh, we didn't fare so well against, against Chelsea and, uh, and City, but we got, we've gotten through Liverpool, we have Arsenal midweek. Uh, Middlesbrough away, which I can't imagine that's going to be very exciting given how Middlesbrough play, and especially because I think we're going to be expected to go there and like take it to them if if we're going to try to win, because uh, they're probably not going to do that to us. And then we have Man United, and then Stoke, and then the season's over. So going into that Arsenal match, what are you expecting? You know, I know it's an away match, but what are you expecting um, from us moving into into that match? I mean, the one thing you can say about Saints this season is that they're just completely unpredictable because we were talking about how there's been boring football and there has, but then, like, the Chelsea performance was, was good, I thought. It was quite exciting. I watched that in a pub and, you know, I was glued to the screen, unlike today and especially unlike Hull. And also, I think we're one of the lowest scorers in the league, which is, is weird because we had that run where we beat Sunderland away uh, 4-0 and we scored four at Watford. So we're just all over the place, really, in terms of our consistency. So I just, I really don't know. I mean, Arsenal... We have a good record against them. You know, we've beaten them in the cup um, several times. We beat them at home with the famous Cuca Martina goal. Um, but then conversely, we lost when we played uh, played the kids in the cup, the FA Cup. That is five nil. So yeah, I I don't know. I think um, it's it's actually it's St Mary's. I think the game. Um, yes, yes, yes. It's, it's, yeah, and we've got a good record against them there. 
Um, we do tend to raise our game for the big teams, uh, is something people say about Saints. But, you know, who's going to score at the moment? It's just... I've gone for a negative prediction, actually, and I don't like to do this my team, but I think I think Arsenal will win probably 2-0 or maybe 2-1, two, two, and I think probably Walcott will score because... There's always the uh, the classic thing of the ex player coming back to score against us, and he obviously scored a hat trick uh, against us in the in the cup game. Uh, Arsenal, I predicted a draw, so I think we'll a be draw. able to get a draw at home against them. But it kind of you know it really Arsenal are not a team that convinced me in terms of they're you know really going to dig deep down and fight. Um, and it seems like the last few matches they've kind of I don't honestly turned over, but kind of just said like yep this is it and we're not going to do the top four and you know. Wenger uh, is going to be out at the end of the season or whatever, and uh, but then today they're they're two up on Man United, so who who knows how what what Arsenal team is going to show up, you know? Yeah, and and I mean you know they are flaky and they can be bullied, and we saw they went to Palace and they lost three 0 there, and that was a kind of midweek game as well under the lights, and you know when St Mary's is, is is up for it, the atmosphere is great, and we can get that kind of that feeling going and get behind the team, and we just need to bully them really because they're 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 kind of lightweight, but um. What you really want is someone like Van Dijk and Austin on the pitch to just really get stuck in and and kind of get you know get it into their get into their box and basically rough them up. They don't like it. They kind of they they just want to pass pass it pass it around you. And if we can if we can put in a performance like that, it'd be great. But I mean, if Paul's got Puel's going defensive again, he might park the bus, and that will really frustrate the home fans because there's nothing they like less than to see us kind of just passing it around in our own half like against Hull. You know, people. Are really disappointed with that, and, and it re- they get really frustrated. And the more frustrated they get, that transmits the players on the pitch, and it kind of creates this negative cycle. So, I really hope we can be positive and attacking, and you know, be quite physical as well with them. Yeah, Arsenal is a team where you almost want a guy. You want Austin up top. You want Wanyama in the middle, and you want you know Van Dyke at the back because you just want to, like you said, just bully them around, and you know, make make Ozil pay for wanting to take. No, play that one two touch passing game with with Alexis you know and I think Romeo can do that I think and I think we'll probably try to frustrate them because they haven't shown that they can really break down a team that does park the bus you know uh they, that's where they've been they've been lacking the past few uh few matches or even seasons being able to uh, figure out how to make that final pass so hopefully we can eke out a draw even though I would hope that we would come out and try to maybe go for a win you know yeah definitely I mean in terms of the lineup for that game um you know, I really want to see Casares start. I don't know if he's fit or what's going on with him, but I just I'd give him a go. You know, I think we could we could have we could swap him maybe for, for Stevens, and and I'd definitely like to see um, Redmond start that game instead of Buffal actually. So those are the two changes I'd make, and I'd like to see um, Classy actually come on because you know he he scored that great goal against against Arsenal at the Emirates, and and I think that even though he's not the most physically imposing player, he actually get, gets stuck in as well. So with him and Romeo in the midfield. I think that could be quite tough for them. So I might even like to see Classy start or certainly you know, be, be on the bench for that one. Yeah, he's, he's been absent since he scored that goal. <laughs> he, hasn't been, yeah. he hasn't been back in the, in the, in the team. I, I think maybe having a midweek game and then again and playing again at the weekend, I think we will see uh, probably a bit more rotation. I, I would imagine that either Classy or Hoiberg will be brought into the team. Um, I, I would assume that Davis wouldn't play again until the weekend. But then that leaves us with the the question of who wears the the armband and 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 leads us out and stuff like that. So maybe Yoshida, I guess. Yeah, uh, he's done a good job. I think when he's been captain. Yeah, I, I think he's really stepped up. This I think he's really stepped up in terms of directing other players and and being organised and 
and he's mostly cut out the mistakes in this game. I'm re- I've been really impressed with him actually this season. Yeah, I was not a Yoshida supporter or lover for a long time, and it took me even a long time this season to be not just dejected when I see him in the on the team sheet. But uh, he's really he's come a long way, and um, I voted over on uh, GeorgeWearsCousin.com. I, I think there's like a you know most improved or whatever, and that Yoshida gets my vote 100 percent for for that. I definitely think he's been the player that has just improved his game uh, the most this 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 season. Maybe he'll have a, a, a shout from Romeo too, because although I think Romeo was good, he just didn't have the chance to to show it as much. But um, where do you see us finishing this season? You know, we're in tenth right now, four matches left. Uh, yeah, a couple tough ones. How 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 do you see us? Uh, where do you think we wind up? Right. Well, I mean, if we go through them, um, we can give our predictions and then work out where we're going to finish from there. I guess. Yeah. 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 I mean, so we've got Arsenal, and I've gone I've gone for a loss for that one. You've gone for a draw. I've gone for a draw. Then Middlesbrough. I'm going to say we're going to beat Middlesbrough. I know they're quite negative, but they don't really score much. And yeah, I think we're going to win that. So I'm going to say three points for that one. And they could be they could be gone by that point. They could be, yeah. It's, it's pretty well, close. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have us down for a win there. And then I have us down for a draw at United or against United and then a, a win with against Stoke. I'm going to say the same. I agree. I think... With United, they may be in the in the Europa final. They might be distracted by that. You know, Ibrahimovic has just bullied us both times. I thought he was the only good United player in the cup final. Maybe De Gea. So he's not around. Um, so I think a draw. And then we usually win our last home game of the season. Um, I'll hopefully be there for that one. So, yeah, I think I think, uh, I think I agree with you. So that how many points does that? So for, for me, that gives us seven points. Yeah. And you've got, yeah. I think I've got us on eight. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to finish 48 points. So, you know, that means the very highest we could finish is eighth. But I'm going to say, I think we're going to finish 10th. I think we're going to stay where we are. We're going to okay. finish right in the middle of the pack. I had us catching West Brom uh, when mm-hmm. I went through this. I didn't give them very many points after this. So let's see. They have, they have three matches left. Uh, is it Man City, Swansea, mm-hmm. and then Chelsea. So I have them getting zero, three, and zero. So they're going to be on 48. I guess as well and they have a better goal difference than we do. So, or just by a goal though, I think. So I don't know. It, it'll be, it'll be close. I had us cause I had us winning a couple matches or, or gaining, gaining a few more points um, prior to this. Um, you know, obviously I gave us three points against Hull, and that didn't happen. So that kind of messes up my whole, my whole thing here. So, yeah. Uh, but overall, you know, I think there have been, there have been several positives and whether they would have, would or would or would not have happened with, without Puel there, uh, it, it, it's just speculation. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully we, we, we kind of push on, do a little better, uh, the next few matches. And then, you know, hopefully see the, the transfer window come and go quietly, which I know doesn't really happen. So, <laughs> um, before we go, anybody you would, you would expect to leave over the summer? Well, Van Dyke, um, it's the million dollar question. You know, he's our best player. Um, he's our only world-class player. I'd say if we keep him as a miracle, um, I'd be so happy if we do, but you know, if a big money offer comes in, we've heard figures of 50, 60 million from City or other people, then okay, I guess we have to take it. He'll he'll probably want to leave it anyway if there's that kind of offer. Um, so if he goes, you know, then I think we might need another central defender. Um, people have been talking about whether we could maybe sign Joe Hart if he comes available. I actually said him when I wrote to you that I'd give Hassan a chance, but after today's performance, I think Forster still has it in him to turn it around. 
I was so impressed with him today. In the midfield, I'm going to be controversial and say I'd, I'd actually I'd actually sell Tadic, Buffal, and Hoiberg. I think Tadic just doesn't look interested enough. I know on his day he's absolute quality and he's done some some great things, but this season, you know three goals and seven assists and he would probably have double that goal tally if he'd actually scored his penalties you know if a good offer came in for him i'd sell him <laughs> and all three of them have been really frustrating in their different ways um really disappointed with Hoiberg, especially with his, his pedigree coming from bayern and, and working with pep i mean maybe he needs a bit more time um i'd actually keep classy uh, i think he's a good squad player i think he, he's done well in the cups um romeo is outstanding you know i really hope we keep him um, so Bertrand again is another player that's been linked. I, re- I really hope we, you know, we keep hold of him too. Um, I'd really like to sign a couple of midfielders. I, I think Sigerson would be a great signing. There's been lots of stuff on Twitter about that, and, and lots of Saints fans would love that. Um, if Austin's fit, you know, Austin and Gavidini would be a great duo. A really mean strike force. I think Long and Jaywood can can go. To be honest, I mean, they've been great great servants for the club in different ways. And you're not going to forget like the long goal against Liverpool, but. Yeah, he's getting on a bit, and I think it would be a good chance to bring in a couple of, couple of other other strikers. Um, although having said that, my one suggestion was Defoe, who's even older than Long, but he's just he's so cool, and I think he'd be great for one more season. Um, yeah, so those are my suggestions. Nice, nice. Yeah, I I think maybe I'd keep Hoyberg over Classy, um, yeah. but I think I could I could do I think the price you're going to get for Tadic right now if you sell him is probably as good as it's going to get. So I can understand getting rid of him um, and don't really have an issue with it, especially because I, I think Buffal and Tadic need to play that central, like almost that number 10 role. And uh, they both like to play there. And, and I'm not sure that, that uh, playing either one of them out on the wing is, is where they're best suited. Uh, and right now in this, the 4-3-3, that's kind of where they're being, they're being placed. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that all works out. But yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to we'll have to see. I, I really... I do have a feeling that Van Dyke will go. I've changed my mind on that the past couple of weeks. Um, back when we were playing City, I was really confident that he was going to stay, and I kind of thought that him being injured would buy us another season because nobody, some people, want to make sure he's fit back to fitness and and can do the same things he was doing before. But now I kind of just think he's going to wind up going somewhere. And I honestly, I just hope it's somewhere big. Like go go play at Barcelona, go play at somewhere else that's just where you can be the world class player that you are. Um, I don't know. He's, he's that good. So I, I just want to see him perform at that level, you know? Yeah, I completely, I completely agree with you. Yeah. He could play anywhere. I think he's that good. You know, I've seen games where he's been our best defender, midfielder and striker all at once. You know, he's incredible. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I'd love to have him. And I would hope that he would play his entire career at Southampton, but I just don't think that's realistic. So I'm not going to you know, <laughs> get my hopes up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, well, I, overall, I think I can be pretty happy about today. Um, uh, about the about Liverpool, about and hopefully it just continues to go that go that way the, ne- the next few matches and for, through the end of the season. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, I'm gonna get off here and uh, go make these people uh, a little bit of coffee. Right. Uh, enjoy. Good to talk to you. Yeah. Nice to talk to you. And thanks for coming on, man. And sorry about the uh, the technical issues we had earlier. No worries. All right, Good man. Soon. Later. Yes. Bye. And once again, that was my conversation with Tim Marshall. I'd like to thank Tim for joining the show and taking time out of his day uh, to, to to talk to me. I realized that uh, you know it's the middle of the afternoon for him when we were talking versus the uh, 
early morning for for me. So uh, thank you again, Tim. I really uh, had a good time, and I hope everybody out there listening uh, enjoy enjoyed the chat, enjoyed the perspective. Um, you can follow Tim on Twitter at Tim J Marshall. That's at T I M J M A R S H A L L on Twitter. You can also follow our Twitter uh, for the show uh, at SFC D E L L underscore I V E R Y. And we now have a Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash SFC delivery. There is no underscore in the Facebook address. You can also subscribe to our feed in iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, wherever you get your podcast. And if you follow on iTunes or uh, someplace where you can leave a rating, please do so. It really does help uh, spread the show to other fans. If you don't want to do that, if you just want to find a friend who doesn't know about the show, grab their phone and and download the show for them and and get them to listen. Anybody who listens uh, helps helps the show kind of grow. And that's what we're here for. Uh, The the, the more listeners, the more questions we get, the the more perspective we get, uh, the more potential guests we have for the show. So that is really what that is all about. So thank you everyone out there who is helping to spread the show and who is, um, you know, listening without, without the listeners, it it doesn't really, doesn't really work. So, uh, thank you for that. Um, that being said, we did get quite a few listener questions this week. They just came in too late for us to actually talk about them. Um, by the time Tim and I started talking and kind of mapping out what we were going to do, we didn't have very many listener questions come in and then they all kind of flooded in right at the end. And by that point it was too late to get to them, but I feel that most of them will be relevant next week. So I have thrown them on the, uh, the planning for next week. So we will get to them there. And I appreciate that. Continue to send in your questions and we will continue to try to address them each, each and every episode. The next two weeks, I guess, uh, we have four matches, 12 potential points. Um, but we will see kind of what Claude Powell has, has set out two tough matches to other i won't say not tough matches because i think every premier league match is difficult but uh you know burrow the burrow's gone they're they're relegated at this point so uh we'll see what they have to play for at the weekend um anyone and arsenal specifically have something to play for and uh stoke maybe maybe not so much but we'll see what the last day of the season uh kind of brings so kind of looking at all that uh i think that's pretty much it so thank you for listening to this episode of the southampton delivery podcast a podcast dedicated to the southampton football club and all of the sfc fans and until next time remember that together we march on (laughs) 